one of my favorite phrases this past year at college is blame the Eastern Europeans. <laughs> but I can't carry on um, the series without acknowledging the fact that what we just did for Ben is one of the things that church is all about. And this funny thing called church, our gathering, if we cannot provide that environment of people coming, if we can't provide the environment of acknowledging that God is ruling and we put our lives into God's hands, then why do we meet? Before I carry on with the third topic, I just wanted to remind you about what we've been going through the last two Sundays. The first Sunday, um, I shared about this thing called church, and uh, we, um, I mentioned that uh, for the church to be called church, it needs to acknowledge God's rule, and it needs to be Christ-centered. And because it's acknowledging God's rule and it's being Christ-centered, then the Holy Spirit is filling the church to do something big. So it's a spirit-filled church. And last Sunday, with the spirit of the Olympics, I mentioned the fact that as a group of Christians, as a group of community of Christians gathered together, we're called to run a race. And we cannot run this race unless we've got our eyes fixed on Jesus. And today, I would just like to go back to the Olympics and uh, uh, share with you technology. Yes. That there are some dangers in the race. And that's why it's so important to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Uh, I was reading the news. Um, I said to you, to you that um, I'm, I'm not into Olympics. I've never been. Uh, being now in England has put me a little bit more interest. And uh, I was thinking of experiences that different athletes have had. And uh, this badminton group from Australia got food poisoning. Um, and it wasn't where Josh Allen is working. <laughs> I know Josh is listening to this. <laughs> but um, it, it's in a different part of England. And that made me think that in our race, we've got an enemy. Which is more than happy for us to not have our eyes fixed on Jesus. So, again, I just don't want to be Bible bashing anyone. I just want to come on a positive note. But also, I want to be real and realistic. Now, um, I want you to. I want to take you to a city which was messed up. It was the city of Ephesus. Um, if you want to follow the storyline from your Bibles, it's Acts chapter 19. 
And uh, now it's, it's, it's the early church, so you can see the progression of this group of Christians. Um, and you can see that God is doing something through these people. I was having a conversation with uh, one person from our congregation several weeks ago, and we're talking about church. And he mentioned to me that church has to be countercultural. And that's what's happening here in Acts chapter 19. We've got Paul who has just come to Ephesus and he has preached the gospel. Now, Paul has to stay in Ephesus for three years. It was a large, a wicked city. And also it had a big temple of goddess Artemis or Diana. And the people of Ephesus, all their lives were centralized in the worship of this deity. And they had the temple, but also they had these little um, images, silver images in their homes that they could pay worship, pay tribute to Diana. Now, um, in spite of all this thing that was going on, Paul, in the same time with the church, is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, that only Christ alone can save. And in this city, there was a person who somehow runs out of business. His name was Demetrius. He was the silversmith. He was the guy who produced these little pictures of Artemis. And it's, it's, it's very interesting because if we go to, to Acts chapter 9, he wants to set up something against Paul and the, well, the, 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 the Christians. Because basically the whole mentality of the city was changing from this worship to this goddess to thinking real terms and coming to terms with the real Savior, Jesus. And it was affecting. So church was being countercultural. It was affecting the community. It was affecting the local businesses of silversmiths. And of course they were not happy. Now, and all of a sudden, this guy organizes the committee of all the silversmiths in Ephesus. And he says, we have to put this to a stop. So let's create a riot. So you go to verse 23. There was a great disturbance about the way. And then they heard about this, verse 28. They were furious and they began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. This is our identity. This is what we have worked for all our lives. This is what is part of our living. This is what we have raised our children with. And all of a sudden, this Jesus comes, 
And he puts everything upside down. And we don't do that. We don't have anything to that because we're happy with Artemis. Now, Paul wants to, if you carry on reading the story, Paul, Paul wants to go and deal with the crowds and then the disciples don't let him. And then one of the clerks, town clerks, comes and he comes down um, the, the crowds. Uh, but in this thing called church, there is an enemy. And he is not happy for the gospel of Christ to be preached. In this thing called church, God is doing something big, something different. And Satan doesn't like it. Now, if you look at the translation of Satan, it means the accuser. So the whole time I'm, I'm going to try and remember to use the word accuser. He doesn't want for God's church to be what God intended it to be. So one of the things that the accuser works against God's church is through persecution. Now, um, Elaine gave a very good definition of persecution. And we cannot stand here or sit here today and not acknowledge the fact that there are a lot of people that are persecuted because they've set their faith in Christ. The illustration of the young man that Ian met is a brilliant illustration. I get this prayer diary from Turkey, actually, about churches and the, the struggle that people have to deal there. And it's amazing that in none of them they have a prayer request for God to bring us out of this circumstance. All of them, I get goosebumps from it. I mean it. From all of them, he's saying that God will give us strength to stay faithful to our call. Not that God will open doors for opportunities. That God is doing that already. But the prayer is, please pray for us. That with that new job, this group of... I mean, I was reading last week that there were some genuine Christians who, who had had good jobs in universities. And God had provided this for them, which is very, very rare. And we're just saying, help, please pray for us that we remain faithful and this new opportunity that God has given us. Because it is easy to pack your bags and go back to the mosque. That's the easiest thing. Now, let's bring it in our terms. We've got it easy. We come and meet, start the church service with 10.30. You know, this morning is brilliant because we didn't have an instrument to accompany us. Do you know how many churches there are out there, there are persecuted churches, that not only they don't have instruments, but they can't even sing with their vocal voices. They just open their mouths and they're all in one accord. And still God is doing great things amongst them. So in this face of persecution, let us be reminded that 
in this race, we are all together. And the accuser doesn't want us to be in this race. The accuser would rather have us pack our bags and go back to what we did before we became a Christian. This thing called church, this thing, funny thing, which is countercultural, which has got trouble. But it's not only persecution that Satan, the accuser, works. Sometimes I just wonder that with the importance of the English language comes more trouble. And I, I'm going to make a sweeping statement, and we can talk about this if you want it, but I find it very hard that in English language there is so many resources that people, Christians, would rather read a book from, I don't want to say an author, you name it, then just go and find the truth in the Bible. So one of the other ways that the Satan gets it's through false doctrine. And I think that somehow the Bible has lost that value, that it's the solid word of God. But I'd rather go and listen to a sermon what John Piper has said about this, or what Anti Wright has said about this. And somehow the, the, the Bible has become the secondary option. The accuser would rather do, well, would rather have us do that than just go the Bible. Do you remember Paul, the very same Paul who wrote, well, who was in Ephesus? He was the very same Paul that had to kind of address the church in Corinth. I, I know that I remember, well, I, know, I, I remember that on the first Sunday when we talked about this church, I said that a lot of people say, my church, this church, and I said, we need to make sure that we have that shift of mentality, that this is God's church, and Christ is going to build it. Now, the other way that Satan tries, the accuser tries to, attack God's church is by having Paul's group and Apollo's group. Dave's group, Pete's group, James's group, Marky's group. And somehow it doesn't work in God's picture of doing church. And that's why Paul has to address it, because he says, come on, guys, 
Apollo is a good teacher. I have ministered to you. This person will come after Apollo. So this whole concept that we're all part of the same body, part of the same vision. And what is more important is that as long as, no, while we allow these individuals to do whatever God has enabled them, whatever God has asked them to do, we carry on fixing our eyes in Jesus. Because Apollo was 2,000 years ago, but he's not anymore. I will be here for three years. I'll be here for 15 years. I'll be here for 20 years. I don't know. But what is more important is that we as a church as mentality, have this mentality that we have our eyes fixed on Jesus. Because he said to Peter, he is going to build his church and the gates of hell will not destroy it. So on this positive note now shift, I'd like to think us that as much as we are aware that the accuser wants to do to bring um, division in the church, to bring false doctrine, to bring um, persecution, while, the sat- while Satan, the accuser, is trying to do this, this church belongs to somebody who is bigger than Satan. And that's why, that's why Jesus is so crucial to be part of our gathering. That's why Christ-centeredness is so important as we walk together, as we run the race together. Now, I know I see some of you are thinking, and... It's good. I've been thinking about this. Because sometimes, as Christians, we underestimate. Sometimes, as Christians, not only we underestimate, but we take for granted that because Jesus is there, we don't have to do anything about it. Because Christ is the center where we're looking. We just carry on being what we are. And it's not at all like that. And we know because it's not at all like that, that's why we're here today. And I hope that that's why we're here today. So this thing called church which is countercultural, which somehow it doesn't work in the mentality of Ephesians because it's changing things upside down, somehow is doing something to this community. And I want to shift that and apply to Cairns Road. 
And I don't want to apply to the Sunday service. And I mean it. Um, I, I went to this conference two years ago, and there was a question that was put onto us. Are we planting church services, or are we planting churches? Such a valid question. Are we planting church services, or are we planting churches? Because if we are part, if we are part of this thing called church, then something has to be different. And I'm not talking about Sunday services. What I'm talking is what happens 24-7 in our race with Christ. The message has got a, a very good version of what I just want to close my encouragement to you. And um, I've got the NIV here, but I'll, I'll read it. And uh, I'll just for us to, to, to ponder just for a, for a few seconds on what Peter is saying here. Keep a cool head in this race. Stay alert. The devil is poised to pounce and would like nothing better than to catch you napping. Peter experienced this, didn't he? Keep your guard up. You're not the only ones plunged into these hard times. It's the same with Christians all over the world. So keep a firm grip on the faith. The suffering won't last forever. It won't be long before this generation, this generous God who has great plans for us in Christ, eternal and glorious plans they are, will have you put together and on your feet for good. He gets the last word. Yes, he does. Let's pray. You are amazing, God. And you're so gracious that in this calling, this thing called church, you deal with real people like us. Like me, Lord. And this morning, my prayer is that same prayer of my brothers and sisters in the persecuted church. That as I run this race with my brothers and sisters, Lord, would you please help us to acknowledge, God, that you rule in our lives. That Christ is the center of our conversation, of our living, of our church meetings, of our worship services, of our discipleship groups, of all life, single things, of our uh, weekday activities. Every single thing that we are involved with, Lord. 
and that we see your spirits filling each and every one of us individually so we can take this community, we can take this neighborhood upside down. Lord, would you please help us to be faithful to your call? It's not easy, God. It's not easy. And we acknowledge this morning that we cannot do it without you. So would you please, Lord, help us to be faithful, Lord, to what you have called us in this thing called church. Help us, Lord, to keep our eyes on Jesus, Lord. Help us to keep a cool head, to stay alert. To keep firm grip on the faith. You've done it, Lord, for 2,000 years with those that have walked the faith uh, before us. Do it with us, Lord. Do it with us today. Do it with us in the days to come. This is your church, God. And it's not mine. Thank goodness for that. Lord, may you continue to do the good work that you have started in us until we see you face to face. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.